welcome to It's the Words Podcast. Welcome, beautiful people. I'm so excited today to have a wonderful guest here with me. And she is, I was just telling her how she is the perfect person to pair with the sentiment echoed in this podcast, which is all about self-awareness, understanding ourselves so we can grow and, you know, make changes toward a better self. So she is a licensed mental health therapist. She specializes in trauma. And she's also an educator in the field. You can find her on the platforms where she has a show, a little series called Mental Health um, Minute. And she shares with us anything related to mental health and coping and, you know, have those kind of discussions that are considered stigma, you know, stigma in our community. She's also a speaker, an author, a mother, a wife, a daughter. She's multifaceted. She's wonderful. Her name is Christian Jackson. Sis, welcome to It's a Word Podcast. Ooh, girl, you make me sound good. Thank you so much. <laughs> you are. I was ready for you. <laughs> I see that. Thank you so much. That was such a warm welcome. Oh, yes, you are more, more than welcome. I'm so grateful that you took the time to be here with us today, and um, I appreciate you being here. My audience appreciate you being here. So why don't we kick things off by asking you to tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, so um, like you said, Golden, my name is Christian Jackson. I am from South Carolina. I was raised here. Um, I am a licensed professional counselor, an LPC as they call it. Um, I'm also a certified addictions counselor and have uh, my national certified credential in counseling as well. Um, And so I've been practicing about six years, since 2014, and I started out my work with adolescents you know, the kids used to get popped for weed at school, so they would get sick. Oh, yes. You know, at the um, Lorraine Act is where I used to work, which is an agency here in town that, you know, helps you get back on your feet as far as, like, education really is what it was for those kids, you know. Um, and then, you know, from there, I worked at an agency that serves um, survivors of sexual assault, and I used to volunteer there as well before I even started working there, and that's where I got a lot of my training in trauma. Um, Mm -hmm. So the trauma was very specific um, because it was all sexual trauma. So we got a lot of good education and ongoing practice with really how to look at those things and how to treat the survivors and their families and all the things as far as, like, even down to helping them with their legal aspect of their cases sometimes. Um, And then I worked for a cooperative for a little while, worked with medical staff and got to kind of hone my skills a little bit more there and got some really fancy EMDR training. Have you ever heard of EMDR? Actually, I have not. What it would you like to sound? Yeah. So EMDR is <laughs> um, it's really cool, and it's it's a really cool intervention for trauma. So it stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. And so okay. um, as I was finding out that my niche was trauma, and I really like sitting with people in those spaces and seeing the change. Um, it really helps you try to really update your system as far as, like, your brain, the way it works, because we are traumatized, something happens to us, it's super major, then sometimes yes. we get stuck in that age, you know, developmentally. So, you know, like, I'm oh, yeah. four, but, you know, like, we're a certain age chronologically, but sometimes if I get triggered for something that I may act like 12-year-old Christian because I don't know how to deal with that emotionally, so... EMDR kind of helps you update that system so that you are dealing with that trigger in a more mature way. Um, mm-hmm. And so EMDR, you'll, if you Google it, then you'll see, like, the counselor moving their fingers and wiggling them in front of the counselor, I mean, the client's eyes. But that is not voodoo or magic, y'all. It's not. <laughs> it does look <laughs> right. funny. It's, it's a different kind of therapy just because it, it activates both sides of your brain. So by you following the oh, right. by the counselor, 
Right. It's like triggering both sides of the brain so they can talk to each other because that's interrupted when trauma happens. So um, Mm -hmm, I really mm -hmm. enjoy the work that I do there as far as trauma works. Um, And, you know, on the personal side, like you said, I am a wife of four years now as of about next week. Um, And we have two boys. I know. (laughs) We have two boys, and um, they're nine and three. And they keep me busy. I just actually ran a few errands now, um, and we just went to Sonic just so I can keep them busy for a little while. But that is me in a quick nutshell, you know? Ooh, that was a quick and a full-packed nutshell. You are <laughs> you are fully engaged with so much. And nobody's good to hear. And it's a perfect segue to my next question for you. Now, in light of all of this that you're doing, and 34 is such a – you are young, sis. So you've got you've got a lot of experience. And you know, we can all say we're all young, but it's a, it's interesting that you said that whatever happens to us, it kind of like either keeps us stagnant in a certain level, even um um irrespective of a biological age. Now, how did you? What sparked your interest in mental health? Um, did you like anticipate going into trauma? Uh, like for instance, um special specialized in specializing in trauma or this was just a course of, well, eventually I'm going to end up in trauma. Like, how did you, how were you able to zoom in on that choice particularly? Yeah, so I think I was in high school when I just realized that I just like talking to people. I really enjoy, like, I'm an extrovert, so I like to hear people's stories and know where they come from and all that stuff. And at the time, I just really thought, you know, that was, like, the extent of counseling. Oh, I can sit with somebody in a cute office with, like, you know, a pretty couch, and, you know, we can just kick it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. come in and say, hey, I want to talk about um, 
when I was molested when I was five. But, you know, it's definitely skewed the way they have built relationships, chose jobs, felt safe and around friendships and friend groups. And so um, just looking at everything through that lens and teaching them that, hey, maybe we can try to fix just the way you look at things or how you respond because your body remembers the trauma. That really does help open people's eyes to healing and even motivates them to continue the process because trauma work doesn't necessarily mean we want to go back and get every detail because we don't have to. Mm -hmm. And that's what most research is saying recently is that we can just treat what's going on now instead of the details. Um, so I kind of fell into it because I wanted to try, but I really did see how everything is connected. And I was like, this is going to make me a really effective um, counselor if I can get into that. It's amazing because, and that's, and what you're saying is so, it's, it's amazing because you are talking about, you mentioned how everything is connected. And sometimes we're not even able to see that. Or it takes us a minute to even come to that point. And yeah. That, which leads me to ask you now, whether you answer this from a clinical standpoint and or an experience of, of your own, how would you define trauma? And like, is there a spectrum to trauma from mild to severe? And how would you define it where somebody can understand that it's not always displayed in a grand way, like, oh, my God, I'm tra traumatized, you know? It's, yeah. it's, <laughs> you know, it's like there's got to be a way where – Sometimes you might not even think that something affected you would be called trauma. Like trauma is not drama, I would think. So yeah. how would you define? Yeah. How would you think the drama, the trauma to, to understand? So how would you define that for us? So trauma, very simply speaking, is really anything. Like if you're going to say a traumatic event, it could be a car accident. I got bit by a dog. Um, I was raped when I was five or whatever the case is, it really could be anything because it's up to the survivor of that traumatic experience to say this was traumatizing for me because that's invalidating for me to say, oh, you were just bit by that dog. That was 20 years ago. Why are you still freaking out about it? Right. You know, if that person hasn't worked through it, it's not fair for you to say that's not traumatic, Sally, you know? <laughs> so it really could be anything, first of all. But the key here is that it's basically, I went to a training a couple of weeks ago and I really liked how they put the fact that traumatic responses are it's basically too much happening too fast so if you're thinking about oh. like, like a bear running into the office is your trauma response to fight you know like fight or flight are you going to stay and square up with that bear are you going to run from the bear or sometimes we freeze and we think you know we'll be invisible the bear won't see me. <laughs> you know i'm going to be okay it's really all about how your body right. responds to the actual threat so it's overwhelming for our systems to always be in that fight-or-flight mode, and that's where PTSD comes in, where people are super startled when they hear a loud noise, or they're always scanning to see how they can get out of somewhere because they call it hypervigilance in the DSM-5, and that's the book that we use as counselors to diagnose people. Um, so the event could be anything, but if you really think about how long it's taking someone to kind of bounce back and adjust, if you still are right. kind of scared of the dark because of something happening to you or whatever, it's just your brain is always in that mode to keep you safe. And if that has not calmed down, then that is where you may want to consider, I might actually be a survivor of trauma. Like, this thing is still bothering me, you know? Right, right. That That is um... – what I find with that also is is that when you when you like have to carry that with you, it's gonna manifest itself at some point in a way in act, act itself out in your life. You know what I'm saying? Like it's gonna yes, reflect absolutely. in your behavior, right? Right. Now, my my other thing to um, to ask you, although 
trauma can affect people. Of course, you said you like multiple, you're multiple, multiculturally versed in trauma with various people. And mm-hmm. we are not even going to go into the cultural part because know, given the social climate right <laughs> given the social climate right now, we will be here all night. But for the sake of this podcast, you know, and I actually did want us to talk about it, but it's like, it's a lot. So, you know, let's just, we're going to stick to this one thing that we have right here, which is, um, and you can, I mean, you're, you're free to talk about it. I'm just saying that it's a lot to unpack and it's a lot to it even is. look at right now, you know. So, but gender-wise, and, you know, my podcast, I, I, I usually make it a point to speak specifically to the to the female audience, particularly the black woman audience, but would you think that mm-hmm. we deal with trauma differently? But did you find in your experience that it thrives in one gender more than the other, more gender as far as male, female, dealing with trauma? Mm-hmm. So I would say that we all, male or female, are going to deal with trauma in our own ways. It's all individualized. But it's really more so kind of come down to who's reporting it more because, you know, we don't find a lot of men, especially black men in therapy, Ah. although I do have, Mm -hmm. you know, a few. I do have a few because, you know, I have an initiative here in my town where, you know, I'm doing research and trying to help people, um, specifically young black boys with one of my friends, um, really process and understand trauma and identify what it looks like for our young black and brown boys and really how to treat it, especially when it comes to the system. Um, So that initiative is there. And, you know, the more we talk about it, the more black men will come forward. Um, Even with everything going on now, I mean, you're still, you see these men on the timelines and they're really hurting. I have some personal friends whose husbands are coming forward and really just finally saying, this is really bothering me. It's triggering a lot of stuff that people haven't thought about in a while. Um, it's collective trauma, and so mm-hmm. women are going to be presented to be more traumatized because they're more apt to go for help. Um, for men, it's just different. Um, but I do, I've had some men come forward, um, and they've been very open and vulnerable. And you know, the most thug, quote unquote, people <laughs> will come into my yeah. office. <laughs> big, strong yeah. men, you know, um, would come and cry in my office. And, you know, they've talked about their experiences of sexual assault and didn't even realize that they were sexually assaulted because of the way that culture may have kind of conditioned them to believe that it's okay for your uncle to get you a prostitute to make sure, you know, your virginity is taken care of and taken at 13. Like, that is sexual right. assault. And, you know, we don't realize that kind of thing. Um, and I can right. go on and on about that. <laughs> but that is uh, remind me a little Bootsy's crazy behind you know what he did and now dss is knocking on his door did you hear about that i don't think i did no did i no i don't think i did it was something he had like a live video where he bragged about basically getting an older woman to kind of deflower quote unquote his 12 or 13 year old son and then also some nephews um he got them a woman to do that but you know it's not something that we really look at as sexual assault but I think now we are taking a closer look and taking it more seriously. So after he did that live and bragged about it, mm. DSS was knocking on his door because that's that's how his sexual abuse. Absolutely, so, I mean, it's ridiculous. Oh, you know, people horrible. don't really think about it, and I do think that um, women and men will deal with it differently. Again, because society conditions men to not cry, especially black men, you're not allowed to. Um, right. so you gotta look at those cultural aspects. Of course, culture is way more than just race and ethnicity. You gotta think about age or disability. Um, you're thinking about sexual orientation and gender and how someone identifies. So there's so many different cultural aspects when it comes to um, considering things from people's lenses. 
you see, and that's 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 perfect that you even mentioned that. And we can't. It's almost like we can't help but bring up the cultural influence, uh, the, the the things that are part of the culture, the the behavior to, that affects the behavior. Which, I mean, it's, it it kind of like pretty much answers the next question. It's like, would you consider that like there are a historical, generational, clearly societal factors yeah. that mm-hmm. causes you know the trauma in people? You know what I'm saying? I mean. We can say a resounding yes, <laughs> but I want yeah, you to like, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just saying that's definitely one that they interact. That's pretty like much it. Can't get away. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And and I yeah. find that, um, like we just mentioned, with with the current uh, social climate, that it is in fact very much the truth of it all. I mean, even though people are trying to look away and say, well, you know that, and you know what. <laughs> That made me think of something. People like to say that what happens to you is in the past, as if what happens to you in the past has no bearing of how you should be able to behave or function as a human now or in your present, right? Exactly. Yeah, and I think it's like, and you know, and it's a microcosm of a macrocosm because right now, black people, that's what's happening. Like, all that stuff, ultimately, it builds up, and you will have to, like, if you don't deal with it or it revisits mm-hmm. you, even on the subconscious, oh, sis, we could just, like, stick our shovels yeah, and so dig awesome. deep in this. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but, yeah, but what you said, it's actually, it's, it's, it's exactly that. Oh, wow, I really appreciate you, um, ex, you know, explaining all of this. Now, um, yeah, let's get into the good stuff. Now, you have an upcoming Ooh. book coming to release soon. <laughs> and that's so exciting, sis, to be able to. Now, how long? Did it take you to write that book? I I finished it last fall in 2019. I would say it probably took me seven or eight months. Oh wow! Like conceptually, that's a long time. It is right. I had to stop and start because it's so triggering for me. Like I didn't realize once I actually yeah. dove deep that I was going to be taken back to spaces like you were just saying the past. Like we can say it's the past, but it's not really the past. It's really not. That's right. Yeah. So um, you know, okay. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's great. Now, um, everybody, um, Christian has a book coming up. It's called Daddy Issues: How to Detangle from the Sins of Our Fathers. Sis, can you please tell us now, how did you get the inspiration behind writing this book? Yes. So I've always loved to read and write. Um, I've wanted to be a writer for a long time and just kept telling myself that I couldn't do it. It was too much. Um, But I knew that I had a book in me, (laughs) and I was going through a lot of personal stuff. So the background of it is, like, my father and I have had a really difficult relationship my entire adult life. And so as I was going through my training as a therapist, you know, I started to learn more about how family of origin issues um, are so important as far as shaping our values, our morals, our worldview. And I started to think about, you know, the things that my dad and I, um, that I watched my dad do. Um, So he's not a bad person. He himself is a child of trauma. And like Mm -hmm. many other people in my family, like we just talked about in our community. So I really wanted to dive deeper into what that looked like, it really, it, frankly, it started out to help me process my own emotional trauma as a result of our relationship. Um, my parents were divorced when I was in sixth grade, and that is just a whole other podcast, books, textbooks, all that. Like, divorce is just, you know, <laughs> separation is such a huge thing, you know, if we don't deal with it properly. And I don't think my parents did. Uh, my mom was not exempt. Um, but I will say that, you know, he's 
been present and been there, but then there was a split and a switch that I talk about in my book as far as the relationship goes. And so I know that I wanted to write a book or write something down to help me process my feelings. So I tell my clients a lot journaling. You can't lie to yourself. You're not going to be yeah. healthy if you keep it all in. So let's just write. So I did it initially for that, but then also started to think about the different nuances of what I finally said out loud to myself was, dang, Christian, like, you have daddy issues. <laughs> So I needed to get that out. So my argument is that everyone has daddy issues. But I did specifically write this book for women because I wanted to write to women like me. I was going to therapy. I started praying more and, you know, exploring my spirituality more and really kind of looking at that to really process this thing because I was tired of being kind of beat down by my own insecurities and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I wrote it for the women, um, but it's definitely something that I think men could benefit from. Um, and then I started thinking about the different types of women that were coming through my office. And so I was frankly now going just being triggered by these women I was treating because their stories started to sound so much like, man, I was, I just wanted to be in yes. say, yes, this, me too, me too. <laughs> yes. Okay. Oh my gosh. No, seriously, I, it was. was amazing. I know. I was, I was reading the, the, the excerpt and I said, okay, I'm, have some of her. And I can relate to some of her. So <laughs> what do I do now? It's like, like I have like three sets of daddy issues in one, in three different archetypes Girl. in one person. That is really crazy. That it's like you know we're gonna get into those 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 archetypes in a second because I thought that that was yeah. such an interesting observation. Like I didn't want to ask you though this this though. Mm-hmm. Now it's interesting that you chose daddy issues as opposed to mommy issues because especially mm-hmm. for us women because usually we think you acting like your mama or your mama, right. you, when something is passed down, it's usually, you know, we target the mother like, oh, she got that from her mother or she's acting just like her mom or the mom, the mom, the mom. So what, why take on, how would you, how did you make that this, this, um, how did you find that disparity where you say, oh, I'm going to go to daddy issue and talk about that right there. You know what I'm saying? So how <laughs> yeah. daddy issue as opposed to mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think really because of, the way that everything kind of went down with me and my dad like I was like I I'm just hurt and this sucks and all I did was be born and you know um just the way that which you know I talked about in the book our fallout and kind of what happened but I just really wanted to try to understand more and I knew that with right you know he was absent and you know emotionally um but again he learned that so you can't really give what you didn't you know what you didn't learn you know I know that he wanted to be a good father I know that he asked people how to do that when my mom was pregnant because he wanted to give him you know give what he didn't get as a child with himself growing up um but unfortunately you know we we are trauma is just that tricky and it's that powerful to where it still impacted us as a family um my brother and me which I talk about us you know as siblings dealing with some of the stuff going on so my mom has always been so consistent as far as I've always seen. She's the most selfless right. person I've seen. I love her, and she's great. So I didn't think I really needed to process anything with her. But as I wrote the book, I did notice, like, Christian, you also have mommy issues, <laughs> which, you know, could be an entirely different project because no one, I want to say, is exempt or immune to family of origin, family history issues. Like, this book is talking about daddy issues, yes, but – Everybody has daddy issues and mommy issues, and there's a spectrum, you know, and I did have someone kind of give me feedback about that when you were talking about the the different archetypes. 
Um, I guess mm-hmm. we can talk about it when we get there. But I think that's really why I chose that issue because I was, frankly, just more upset about that and knew I needed to work through some things. Yep, yep. And it's it's interesting, too, that it's almost like you have mommy issues by default because of your dad. Me, that's how I looked at it for me. Because oh, of yeah. my interaction, yeah, because of my mom, me, my mom and my dad were had an awful marriage. And my mommy issues, I had daddy issues and mommy issues even by the interaction of each of them having it right. with each other. So yeah. it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, you can pick that up off of the dynamic, you know, because your mom was great with you, but it seemed like because of your dad, there was something there that kind of like, it's kind of like, kind of like by osmosis. So it's kind of really mm-hmm. interesting to see that. No, I'm like, you know, I mean, everything is like you said earlier, everything is connected, you know. Into the archetype. Let's get into the archetype. Yeah, okay. okay, so <laughs> now those archetypes. Um, not only I want you to name a few, to have a couple of seconds to do that, but it's like, how mm-hmm. did you go about selecting these particular ones? Like, are these the main ones? Are there others coming up soon in your next book? Like, what's going on? Because these were very, <laughs> because these were very relatable, and I've known these archetypes since I was in school, like youngin. You know, like yeah. you'd be like, yeah, that's the gold figure right there. That's that's promiscuous. Right. <laughs> H-O, you know what I'm saying? So okay. let's talk about this. Like, yeah, let's. <laughs> so how did you go about selecting those? And it's like, is that the most common of clients coming through? Like, you'd be like saying, like, wow, this is a common denominator here. These are the girls, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think that um, I think it's important for us also just to back up because I think I have what I did was make up a diagnosis. And so um, it's based off of, right. like, reactive archetype. I said to myself, well, wait a minute. And that's me being the woman on the defense. Okay, so I'll get the book. People don't know who the woman on the defense is. Okay, just say no. I'm not going to spoil it. But I was like, for instance, though, I'm like, but what's wrong with the woman on the defense, though? You know, I'm like, okay, she lies because she is defending herself, you know. And I wanted to ask you about this because, I thought to myself, but wait, because I've come from a long line of women of the defense, okay? And we're from the island, so it's like times 100, okay? So we are loud, we are going to let you know, and we are going to protect ourselves at all costs. You cannot break us, you cannot pierce us for our emotions or whatever, but we're like gooey gooey nuggets inside. But my point is, is that we would think that these kind of behaviors or mindsets are kind of also a survival mechanism because the only way that I would think the woman of the defense on the defense, which is usually the black woman being, mm-hmm. oh, you guys are so hard angry, to deal with, yeah. angry, and you are like, what's the confrontation? No, you know, we always come across as, you know, all strong and whatever. But we also say, well, if we weren't like that, you guys, I remember my mom used to tell us that all the time. She'd be like, if it wasn't for me the way I was, y'all wouldn't make it. You know what I mean? You wouldn't make yeah. it because of the, you know? So, to me, I'm like, wow, this, this to me has always been a means of a defense mechanism to protect ourselves from whatever it is that we face socially um, that is, can potentially um, hold us harm. And I even think when I read the other archetypes that that's the way for them to protect themselves. The gold diggers, like, I have to protect my, I have to make sure I have coins because I have yeah, to protect Yeah, trying to be secure, yeah. A security, that's mm-hmm. the word. So how that's would you – yeah, and so is that being misconstrued? Is that because that is a way for us to navigate 
through society and to attain some form of success. But at the same time, by reading your book, now it's feeling detrimental. So how do you find the balance? Not detrimental. I'm being dramatic. But no, I do. Like, I oh, this thing. You know what I mean? What would what would you think about that? Like without saying like, well, does that mean I have to be vulnerable and let the next let the next dude come through and just like you know? So mm-hmm. how would you explain to someone and say, okay, well, there's, here's the balance. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that it's just important to figure out where those messages came from. So like you identify, for example, your mom, she her intention was to instill strong values. I'm quite sure she wants you to be, you know, exactly. a assertive woman, you know, a strong woman, which is all of our stories, especially black women. Um, and yeah. so a lot of that sometimes comes from, I've heard stories like, you know, you need to be strong because these men out here ain't nothing. And then mm-hmm. all they're going to do is play you, so you need to be ready, you know, all of that. Uh-huh. And so yes. the woman on the defense is not only daddy issues now. Like, daddy issues is only part of the story. I do want to point that out. But there are some, some women who are just just so distrustful of people um, that their relationships just fail because the wall is always up. So my, my questions usually are, where, what is that narrative? What does your self-talk look like? So is it that, okay, mm-hmm, first you mm-hmm. put your arm out, you stiff arm them first before you, you let them in? Where does that come from? Why is that where you hurt? Because, of course, out of traumatic experiences, we learn, okay, you know what, Christian, remember that last time old girl hurt you like that? Don't ever let no female come to you in your space and disrespect you so your brain tells you okay boom i've learned a way to defend myself i'm going to not talk to yeah. people or i'm going to talk to people less whatever that might be and so the woman on the defense is usually not only angry because anger is a secondary emotion we're usually mm-hmm. anxious first or we've been hurt first before we actually feel angry and so it's really going to be important to kind of check where that narrative comes from when it comes to being on the defense. Like, I always ask, like, what are you fighting? Who are you fighting? You know, when you act like that, because right. I do talk about throughout the book, um, it's not it, – I talk about how daddy issues will, you know, affect your friendship, marriage, work. So I really outline what that looks like so you can see all these different ways that these things may overlap the different women how they respond to things, how does it look at friendships, because you could be the woman on defense with friendships um, and still be mm. kind of clingy. You know, I, another thing I yes. talk about is attachment styles, too, which is, you know, some yes. psychology battle about how we attach to people <laughs> and how it goes back to your families, just to really outline what that looks like so you can start recognizing it. Because, you know, balance, you could find that. I think it's just a matter of finding where you're comfortable Right. Um, so that you're not harming yourself or, like, you know, de- depriving yourself of a real good, intimate, healthy connection. Absolutely. And I think maybe balance was not the right word, but I guess, um, like you said, like having realization, I think, is a good first step, right? Having a sense yeah, of self-realization exactly. and say, oh, okay, I identify to, with that. What's to deal with that? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's, that was perfect. Now, I'm going to have another truth moment with you, okay? okay. I read Yay, an extra <laughs> Truth moment. Now, you know that I'm the woman on the defense, so I'm working on that. Okay, I've done good. Um, but I'm going to read this excerpt, okay? And I was like, oh, okay. snaz. You know, she, she was like, she does more for She's like, Brit. Um, okay, so it says, a quote. I could hear his critical tones from my childhood about making better choices. I questioned all my moves since being a little girl because I hadn't had the chance to exercise my own judgment. The choices I made were always based out of fear. 
I was nervous about the outcome because I had seen my dad's rap. When I tell you this paragraph struck <laughs> a chord with me. Oh, really? And it could be – and yeah, it did because – and maybe – and I'm, I was like, am I interpreting this right? Because mm-hmm. to me – I thought to myself, okay, so I can make my own judgment. I can make my own decisions. You know, I've always been known to be a bit of a rebel. You know, like I don't do what people tell me. You know, I just, you always right. tell yourself these stories about your boldness. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. And, yeah, so I'm like, but, but when I, I don't know why when I read that, I was like, oh, snap. The choices mm-hmm. I made were based out of fear. That's the sentence that caught me. I was like, something about me, though, and I I had to look back at my relationship with my parents, with my dad, particularly because I had to look at my daddy issues. With my mom, I already know some of them. My issues were very clear and apparent, and I knew. But as far as my dad is concerned, I was like, you know what? It's amazing how this resonates with me so well because the things that I've done, some of the decisions or the choices that I've made in my life, whenever I would make them, it would be out of fear. Whatever it would be out of fear of not having the, uh, what's the word? the proper um, um, support or, like you said earlier, right. validation. I would make it out mm-hmm, of fear because, mm-hmm. oh, if I do this, my dad is going to get angry or mm-hmm. he's not going to approve or, you know, and I'm not talking about the wild stuff. You know, thankfully, I wasn't a wild mm-hmm. child like that. But, you know, I'm not talking about, well, I want to do drugs, but my dad's going to be angry if I you, do. You know, it's not that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Testing the boundaries to some level, but thankfully not that far off. However, yeah. even on the little things, and I and I realized how that eventually affected my confidence in my own way of exercising my own judgment without having fear of external um, opinion or validation. Even if I knew this was good for me as a grown woman, you know, mm-hmm. is there a label to this? Like that's a very poignant observation. Like when you, I know you ex- you share that out of your experience. So what mm-hmm. made you? Yeah, like how did you? I guess overcome it or once it came to that realization what did you make out of that because I thought like wow you know we we really have this uh place where make you know living our own lives even is always impacted by it's heavily impacted by whether our parents approve of us or not right and to me yeah that was very important and I didn't have that but it was always negative when I did have it you know it was always a negative mm-hmm. response so mm-hmm. yeah that was very impactful yeah. this so what do you yeah go ahead because, you know, even those negative responses, of course, that's going to teach you don't do that, don't do that, you know. And, of course, regardless of the type of relationship someone has with their parents, we are always, as kids, going to try to make mommy and daddy proud. We don't want to disappoint them. So mm-hmm. we exercise this muscle, and it's like it is muscle memory that we would sometimes question what we were thinking, you know, because our whoever our biggest influence is, it may not even be parents, but whoever that is is kind of in the back of our head rolling around. Um, I mm-hmm. watched my mom not really have the strongest backbone, you know, growing up. So I didn't really have the best example to even learn to assert myself or to trust myself with stuff. I think it, it comes right. down to that. I was actually, I'll, I'll say that since you're being real, I'm going to do the same. I was um, talking to my own therapist and she was like, Christy, mm-hmm. you don't seem to really trust yourself. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? Because um, I didn't think about right. how important it is to really, you know, trust your own gut with stuff. Um, I was writing the first draft of this book, and my and it was like maybe 20,000 words, I think, and I was done. 
um, my editor saw it, and she was like, I can just tell with you writing this that you are really holding back. Like, a lot of the stuff that I have in here about some of my, you know, autobiographical content and some of the stories and mm-hmm. stuff, she was like, Christian, I remember, I know you remember what your daddy said to you at this point. I know you remember how you felt, how your body responded, like, why are you holding back? And it was because I didn't trust mm-hmm. or, or, you know, I, I could, like, feel him maybe <laughs> in the background watching me write this book. Um, and so it really comes down to do you trust yourself? What are your intentions with whatever action it is? If it's not to, like, freaking murder somebody, you know, why are you questioning yourself? <laughs> you know, like, we need right. to take that, you know, introspective moment and really check in with ourselves. But it's not fair to us to really just stunt whatever progress we'd be making for ourselves or for our family or for the community all because back when we were five, we were told that we weren't going to be nothing. Like, that's not fair. Um, that's right. It's it takes some work now. My editor and my therapist really got on me about that, and I think that's what was really helpful to have that mirror of, you know, that objective view. Definitely, and that's that's an amazing. It's like, like you, you said, the, even the body response, like the way you feel and how your body responds to all of that. This is so impactful. So, well, thanks for being transparent, but, I mean, it, it, it was, it's, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm going to put myself out there. But it's it's important for us to know that, like you said, I guess the theme of this interview is everything is connected, and there's and there's some work that needs to be, yeah, it's some work that needs to to take place to uncover all of this. Now, um, do you think that, in light of your book, and as you know, you anticipate releasing it, and we talk about how we as women or men too, if they read your book and they can relate to the daddy issues. Would that mean that there would be a way to um, teach or um, educate fathers on how to have a bit more balance when interacting with their daughters to possibly help decrease these potential budding archetypes and people with mm-hmm. behaviors that are, you know, because I, it's, from reading the book, it, it, it well, the excerpt, because I am going to get the book, but it is interesting oh. that, the yeah, but it is interesting that the father's, excess or lack of connection or authority and stuff like that impacts us, you know what I mean? Is there a way mm-hmm. for, is, would there be a way to educate fathers and say, okay, look, if you don't want your daughters to come out to be a hoe, this is what you do. <laughs> 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 I would love I to get a little less. But, but yeah, what do you think about, yeah, it's like, do you think that this is something that could, can happen, should happen, would happen eventually in the future? Like, what is your take on that? Like, is that where it starts? Yeah, absolutely. I think that with the right amount of commitment and acknowledgement that this definitely could spark a change because I want to be clear about what the book is and what it's not. The book is not to bash my father by any means. Of course. Um, of course. You know, that's part of, of you know, my story is just a difficult dynamic we've had lately, but that's not what the point is. And it's not to bash men. My dad mm-hmm. happens to be black, mm-hmm. so it's not to bash black men. It's really just to say, hey, it is time for us to heal, especially in the black community and our families. It is time for our families to finally say, you know, whatever happens in this house stays in this house. We need to get rid of that whole narrative. Yes. It's not yes. fair. It hurts so many people. You know, I get so many clients that say that. They have just for the first time talked about their sexual assault, for the first time said that they um, just – thought such and such about their family and just finally have a chance to kind of release it in the therapist's office and they find it easier to talk to a stranger because they never got to express that stuff. This is going to be hopefully going to be sparking a movement for families, period. That is my entire purpose of the book is to make sure that we are acknowledging the things that um, are lies and that have hurt our communities and our families for so long. Um, 
I remember my dad getting defensive one day when I mentioned that my brother may have daddy issues, and he was, like, so ready to defend himself. And I'm like, yo, like, this is just what it is. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you talk about your daddy, you have definitely told me about some of the things that you've been impacted by, you know, so it's not fair for us to not have those issues. <laughs> like, we're not saying you're a bad person. If you are a father right. and you're not as present or whatever, it's just a way for you to say, you know what, um, I can teach my daughter how to feel like a queen by doing such and such. Or I could, mm. you know, co-parent with her mother because I really know that it's important for both her parents to be in her lives. Or co-parent with the father. There are two dads in the house sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, how are we going to navigate that? What does that look like? So it's it's just one of those, hopefully, a conversation starter on how to, what will uproot the ugly. And that's what I always tell my clients in the beginning of therapy this ain't going to feel good since in the beginning now. <laughs> Your anxiety is going to ramp course, up. Your depression right. is going to ramp up because, you know, we're yep. talking about crap that sucks. So this book, although I believe it's beautifully written, if I do say so myself, and it's very um, impactful and really lays out, like, really a manual, um, it's going to hurt. You're going to really yes. feel some things that you haven't felt in a while or ever thought about at all. Um, but we're not going to get past anything unless we uproot all of it, and that is the point of the entire thing. And and it's so beautiful that you um, make it inclusive where it involves family, community, not just family of origin, but, like, right. the actual family of us all within the community, especially, again, at a time like this right here, right mm-hmm. now, oh my God, mm-hmm. with everything that's going on. I think we're realizing that there's no more rugs to sweep anything under anymore. You know what right. I mean? It's They're like everything – Yes, if they all ripped up, they're not here no more, and we have mm-hmm. to actually take the broom and start sleeping to get metaphorical, you know. And exactly. One thing, yeah, and one thing you made reference to in your book is referencing author Brene Brown's work and oh, yeah. the, Amazing. you know, yeah, and that part, that part where they talk about, she mm-hmm. talks about um, there is no shame in community. And it's, it's funny because when it comes to black, and not to, um, exclude other communities but when it comes to black mm-hmm. community the element of shame is so heavy on us whenever oh, yeah. we are dealing with yeah behavioral um difficulties or challenges mental stigmas and stuff like that shame is such especially like i was sharing with you earlier i come from the island so there's no such thing as mental problems there's no such thing right. like you can't solve it right you know like for like for instance and i'm i'm, I'm gonna share something else with you my my, my oldest daughter is autistic so mm-hmm. when, yeah, so when I, you know, when I found out the diagnosis, I had nowhere to turn for support in my family. And even my mom, yeah. she was like, ain't nothing wrong with, yeah, she was like, ain't nothing wrong with your child. You know, there's nothing yeah. wrong with, what's autistic? You know, that's just all, all you got to do is make sure. And then the burden was on me. All you got to do is make sure you, you, you know, do, do, when she gets older, you all got to discipline her, mm-hmm. make sure she does her homework, you know, as long as she surfacely looks good. There's no issue yeah. there, but, I mean, you know, and I'm like, what do you mean? You know, this is what I've known, like, my she couldn't talk. Like, I mean, all of the stuff mm-hmm. that I've been through. And to me, I was very – I didn't have shame of my daughter being autistic, but I, I mm-hmm. knew what it felt like to have a challenge and not have community support because of the shame that they have for my problem. You know what I'm saying? Right. My my challenge. Now, how would you advise someone to eat? So, so that that to me hinders somebody with a with a challenge to come forward in that community. How would you yeah. help somebody? Yeah. How would you advise and help someone with your experience to overcome that shame and understand that coming together is what's going to help alleviate the burden of that challenge? You know, because if you feel like your community is not accepting you or is not accepting a certain 
challenge or illness or whatever, you're not going to mm-hmm. come out, you know? So what, exactly. what do you think about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, Brene Brown, just for the listeners who may not know who she is, she's a, a shame yes. researcher yes. is what she called herself, Dr. Brene Brown. And she's mm-hmm. awesome. I follow her throughout, like, most of the latter part of my career so far. But she says that shame um, means I am bad and guilt means I did something bad. So that was mm. so freeing for me when mm. I learned that. I was like, oh, my God, really? That is, like, something wow. like so many light bulbs. So she says that shame can't live in, like, us relating to each other. So, for mm-hmm. example, that if there's a certain shame related to um, a certain relationship you may have, which, you know, for a long time, the LGBTQIA2 plus community, when I have them in yes. the office, then, you know, for a long time, they're just ashamed of who they love. And so I'm just like, are you bad? Is that the message that you're carrying? And where did you learn that from? But for some people, it is their father's. Um, who have expressed shame that they have learned from their fathers and so on and so on. And that's why the book is called Detangling from the Sins of Our Fathers. Like there are so many of our ancestral just shame that has been passed down to us. So it's going to be that hard, awkward first step that you may not have someone there to hold your hand with so that you can be in part of that community. And that's what I hope this book would be able to do is to say, hey, girl, I got daddy issues too. You was a gold digger? Right. Right. You, me too, you know, so that we can stamp it out because the shame really leads you to believe that you're by yourself. And so that yeah. is why community helps you to stamp out that, um, stamp it out, stamp out that shame so that you know that you're not by yourself. So it's really just about first, like, identifying where you are and then finding others who are dealing with the same thing. And that's what I'm hoping that this project will be able to do. That's beautiful, and and that's great, and and it's true. If you know that you're not alone, it makes it a little bit easier to manage, (laughs) even manage, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you know, you're not like an odd duck in the crowd, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, at this point, we should all know, and until we make the work to accept whatever we deal with, we should at least all know, in all fairness, as humans alone, we have, we all have issues, and some, you know, we all have daddy issues. (laughs) We all have daddy issues. Yes, all of us. But, um, yes, all of us. So, now, as far as, um, like, in speaking of acceptance, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's one of the things that I like to discuss, main, like, a lot about the self-awareness, the self-acceptance, the healing. Mm-hmm. And there are some things, you know, as a part of way to heal the trauma, it's to, to start by accepting or coming to a certain, a certain level of self-realization, which, like you said earlier, it is not pretty. Okay, healing is not pretty. Yes, it is not. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not going to be easy. Sometimes you think you got, you know, you, you're coasting and then you fall back. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's not the most mm-hmm. easiest thing to go through. But there are some things you can do to have at least a better mental health to deal with these things. And you know, it's not always going to even feel like you're making any type of steps toward healing. Now, would you share with us, in your opinion, like how we can include, or do you have some tips, I guess, or some mm-hmm. form of self-care, self-care to deal with these kind of issues? Like anything, it could be one or two things that you find are effective in at least making us walk towards that direction, you know, when dealing with mm-hmm. our issues. Yeah, for sure, because um, the way my book is structured, because I know it was triggering for me, so I wanted to make sure that when I wrote it that I had tools for people throughout the book to take care of themselves. So before I even get into what daddy issues is um, and what they are, I ask you guys to do a self-care assessment. So I have 
uh, an assessment at the very beginning of the book, and it says, hey, sis, like, are you taking care of your mental, spiritual, physical, and emotional health? Just to kind of rate what your self-care looks like. And mm-hmm. so I'm hoping that in the beginning you get a baseline. You say, okay, maybe I could, you know, do a little bit better. I don't know. <laughs> and then if you don't know, I tell you in the beginning, yo, sis, like, you need to make sure that you are taking care of yourself. So rate where you are. Be real with yourself. When's the last time you actually, like, took care of yourself? And if you don't even know how to, because I have women saying, Christian, what you mean? Like, I got kids. I'm a single mom. Where am I going to squeeze in self-care? So I give suggestions okay. in the beginning of the book, too. Yes. <laughs> I give suggestions <laughs> in the beginning because I'm like, sis, I got you. Like, I got a whole list of how you can do this in the very beginning of the book. Once you see where you are, try some of these things. Make yourself a plan. So that's the way the book is structured in the beginning. Let's have a self-care plan before we even dive into the work. Because it's really important when you're doing trauma work to stabilize and have tools and things to fall back on. Because when you are triggered, you can say, you know what, let me go back to my plan and see. Um, In between, every chapter I have a self-reflection question. So after the first chapter, you might see something like, um, did you, like, go for a walk today? Or in the friendships chapter, did you? what did you think about how your daddy issues affect your friendship? What do you do about mm-hmm. setting boundaries? How can you do that? And they're also followed up with activity. So between every chapter, the readers will have something to take care of themselves throughout the entire book so that you are being um, really super conscious and aware of how to be able to take care of yourself when you're not only trying to process your daddy issues, but just through life. Um, and so everyone, like you may have like a journaling prompt in the middle of the chapters. You may have like a breathing activity or an invitation to go for a walk and be in nature, you know, that spiritual sense, because we really just need to connect and be mindful. And so one tip I yes. would give, and that's a, a theme, of course, is just to really enhance your ability to be mindful and engage in those mindful activities. Um, and so that's throughout the whole book, and then you take the assessment at the end because I want to see, you know, like, hey, do you have an opportunity to increase your score from the very beginning? Did you get a little bit better at your self-care as you're reading the book, you know? Um, and so those are all throughout the book. You'll have tips in order to take care of yourself when you are triggered because you will be triggered when reading this book. <laughs> um, and then, you know, you'll have something to fall back on. And, you know, even not to forget the sisters who have been um, abused by their fathers, because I hear some really unfortunate stories about how some women have been abused by their fathers physically, sexually, um, emotionally, spiritually. So I write a letter directly to you guys, um, because I know you're out there. I treat you um, just so that you know that you're not forgotten. You're not alone. Um, Another one of those pieces going back to the fact that there's shame attached to my father raped me or my father um, molested me. So let's talk about that and really acknowledge the fact that I'm not by myself, and I can be here in this space, and Christian sees me. Like, that's one thing I want you to see, too. So the book ends with that, um, and some self-care tips with that as well. And this book is actually also coming out with a workbook at the same time. Um, All right, so she's giving us homework, guys. Yes. <laughs> oh, great. Homework. I am. I know. I am that counselor child. I was saying everything. She's that girl. Minute. She's that girl. Oh, God. Yes. yes. <laughs> We love it. Yes. Be good. You know, oh, my God. Um, Guys, um, she is wonderful. Like, I mean, this is Christian Jackson, licensed therapist. And let me tell you, you already um, mentioned um, what you hope to accomplish with this book earlier. And one of those things you said is that this, you hope that this would be a great conversation start, and it will be. I'm guaranteed because – I think we're going to start comparing archetypes. For the, yeah. <laughs> for sure. So you know, I read this book and you know, and I read this book and you know, 
But, you know, I mean, this book is so, I, I mean, it's going to be, I'm, I'm talking like I read the book, the thing already, but I am so looking forward to this amazing work of yours, and, once again, and it's another contributor to helping make us healthier, and I am really excited, and I'm going to, of course, we're going to talk about where everybody can get it, but tell us, please, when is your book coming out? Um, July second. So in about a month. I'm so excited, girl. I cannot. I'm so pumped. So I'm planning a really big virtual. I'm so excited party. for you. Oh, I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna be there. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much, Golden. I'm so excited. Yes, I will be so, there. I'm so excited for you. Yes. Yes. So that's when it's coming out. July second. It'll be July second. Excellent. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say this too. And correct me if I'm wrong. Get the book, but the book, guys, is not a self-diagnosis. Thankfully, it's written by somebody that is licensed in therapy. So if you need a follow-up, if you don't understand your homework, you can contact the teacher, okay? Yes. So why don't you – yeah, because then you don't have to, like, say, oh, yeah, that's right. Like, I mean, oh, yeah, I'm the woman in defense. Okay, yeah, that's that's good. I'm going to, like, Google what I need to do for myself. (laughs) No, if you need help, there are people there for that. As a matter of fact, please tell us. Um, where we can find you on social media, if you have anything, uh, any website you want to tell us about. Like you mentioned, you have a launch party coming. I mean, tell us about all your plans. Where can we find you? Yes. So you can find me on both Facebook and Instagram at Couch with Christian, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N. And so that is where you'll find all the updates about really anything I'm doing, not just the book, but I share, you know, random tidbits about mental health and do yes. videos on Instagram that yes. I just fool around on. <laughs> Um, and I also have a group on Facebook specifically for the book. It's called Overcoming Daddy Issues. So if you just put it in a search, um, Overcoming Daddy Issues for the private Facebook group, it is an online community for women only. And that is where we've been having some really good deep discussions about some parts of the book. And I'll put some questions in there to kind of prompt some discussion. And so um, you'll also get opportunities for free giveaways and things like that. I'm doing some fun stuff all the way leading oh, up to the book coming out. So if you mm-hmm. go to the Facebook group, that'd be great. You can invite someone, invite yourself. I'll let you in as long as you're a female. <laughs> okay, that's good because I didn't know um, you had a Facebook group. So I'm definitely yeah. going to, um, you know, put myself to myself in there because Mama has some like, issues. So maybe I can just, you know, <laughs> lump myself in into the class. And <laughs> uh, I'm excited about it. So that's great. But I am going to put... Um, all of Christian's info in the show notes, guys. So, you know, don't worry if you don't have, I mean, I just want to rewind this and write it down. That's fine, but all this will be readily available. Sister, I cannot thank you so much. I mean, I can't thank you enough for all that stuff. You gave us so much data. This is so good. This discussion is so needed. And we thank you. I thank you for your work. Um, it's good that we all are blessed with a gift and our skill and that we use it to the betterment of others. And that's what I find that's what you're doing. Especially yes. for us, I'm pretty sure, like you said, you have other cultural people that you tend to. I mm-hmm. tend to be, um, although I'm open to other people, I'm very, you know, us first. And I'm so grateful that you as a black woman to come on another black woman's platform and extend yourself and share with us the things that can help us improve mentally mm-hmm. and spiritually and, and try to make our lives better, especially at a time like this where we could all benefit from your gift. I thank you so, so much yes, for your time. For and I, I'm sorry? I said, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Oh, definitely. But before you go, 
Mm-hmm. With my podcast, I always like because it's called it's a word. I always like to depart, right. to part with a word, you know, like a good goodly word, love a spiritual yeah. word, or a mental. But you, um, I would love for you if you could share with us, share with the audience your one word, whether it's a mantra, a motto, or something that you feel mm-hmm. is would be a good parting word for them to um, remember or take away from what you share with us today. What would it be? Um, it's your time to heal. Um, it is not just for the rich. It's not just for the white people. It's for everyone. And so it's really time for us to expand that definition of healing and include yourself in that process because it's your time, sis. Ooh, it's just time to heal. And yes. that, honey, it's a word. <laughs> I felt that in my spirit. <laughs> I hope I felt that in my spirit. I hope you, and, and I, on behalf, and, and along with Christian, I extend that to you, um, sis. If you're listening to this podcast, I hope that you were able to take something and please go follow Christian. She's on Instagram and all that goodie. I'm going to let you know where I'm, I'm going to um, lay it out in the, in the notes so you can follow her so you can get some more of that word. Christian, thank you so much. Um, yes, I'm grateful you for so your much. time. So much love to you. So much love to you. Yes, thank you. you. Too. I really appreciate you. You're very welcome.